It's Nudie, and you're listening to Reading Books with Nudie. We've been reading A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett and A Jingle from the Jingle Book by Carolyn Wells in every episode. Well, except the last one. The jingle in this episode is going to be longish as well, just like last week's on Thursday. Today we're also going to hear the second part of the ninth chapter. If you're new here, you should probably go back and listen from the very first episode because this is episode 16 and you might get a little bit lost. Okay, let's get started. Chapter 9, Melchizedek, Part 2. Sarah was sitting in this way when her attention was attracted by a slight sound near her. She lifted her head to see where it came from, and if she had been a nervous child, she would have left her seat on the battered footstool in a great hurry. A large rat was sitting up on his hindquarters and sniffing the air in an interested manner. Some of Lottie's crumbs had dropped upon the floor, and their scent had drawn him out of his hole. He looked so queer and so like a grey-whiskered dwarf or gnome that Sarah was rather fascinated. He looked at her with his bright eyes as if he were asking a question. He was evidently so doubtful that one of the child's queer thoughts came into her mind. I dare say it is rather hard to be a rat, she mused. Nobody likes you. People jump and run away and scream out. Oh, a horrid rat! I shouldn't like people to scream and jump and say, Oh, a horrid Sarah, the moment they saw me, and set traps for me and pretend they were dinner. It's so different to be a sparrow. But nobody asked this rat if he wanted to be a rat when he was made. Nobody said, wouldn't you rather be a sparrow? She had sat so quietly that the rat had begun to take courage. He was very much afraid of her, but perhaps he had a heart like the sparrow and it told him that she was not a thing which pounced. He was very hungry. He had a wife and a large family in the wall, and they had had frightfully bad luck for several days. He had left the children crying bitterly, and felt he would risk a good deal for a few crumbs, so he cautiously dropped upon his feet. Come on, said Sarah. I'm not a trap. You can have them, poor thing. Prisoners in the Bastille used to make friends with rats. Suppose I make friends with you? How it is that animals understand things, I do not know, but it is certain that they do understand. Perhaps there is a language which is not made of words, and everything in the world understands it. Perhaps there is a soul hidden in everything, and it can always speak, without even making a sound, to another soul. But whatsoever was the reason, the rat knew from that moment that he was safe, even though he was a rat. He knew that this young human being, sitting on the red footstool, would not jump up and terrify him with wild, sharp noises, or throw heavy objects at him which, if they did not fall and crush him, would send him limping in his scurry back to his hole. He was really a very nice rat and did not mean the least harm. When he had stood on his hind legs and sniffed the air, with his bright eyes fixed on Sarah, he had hoped that she would understand this and would not begin by hating him as an enemy. When the mysterious thing which speaks without saying any words told him that she would not, he went softly toward the crumbs and began to eat them. As he did it, he glanced every now and then to Sarah, just as the sparrows had done and his expression was so very apologetic that it touched her heart. She sat and watched him without making any movement. One crumb was very much larger than the others. In fact, it could scarcely be called a crumb. It it was evident that he wanted that piece very much, but it lay quite near the footstool, and he was still rather timid. I believe he wants it to carry to his family in the wall, Sarah thought. If I do not stir at all, perhaps he will come and get it. 
She scarcely allowed herself to breathe. She was so deeply interested. The rat shuffled a little nearer and ate a few more crumbs. Then he stopped and sniffed delicately, giving a side glance at the occupant of the footstool. Then he darted at the piece of bun with something very like the sudden boldness of the sparrow. And the instant he had possession of it, he fled back to the wall, slipped down a crack in the skirting board, and was gone. I knew he wanted it for his children, said Sarah. I do believe I could make friends with him. A week or so afterward, on one of the rare nights when Ermengarde found it safe to steal up to the attic, when she tapped on the door with the tips of her fingers, Sarah did not come to her for two or three minutes. There was, indeed, such a silence in the room at first that Ermengarde wondered if she could have fallen asleep. Then, to her surprise, she heard her utter a little low laugh and speak coaxingly to someone. There, Ermengarde heard her say, Take it and go home, Melchizedek. Go home to your wife. Almost immediately, Sarah opened the door, and when she did so, she found Ermengarde standing with alarmed eyes upon the threshold. Who? Who are you talking to, Sarah? She gasped out. Sarah drew her in cautiously, but she looked as if something pleased and amused her. You must promise not to be frightened, not to scream the least bit, or I can't tell you, she answered. Ermengarde felt almost inclined to scream on the spot, but managed to control herself. She looked all around the attic and saw no one, and yet Sarah had certainly been speaking to someone. She thought of ghosts. Is it something that will frighten me? she asked timorously. Some people are afraid of them, said Sarah. I was at first, but I am not now. Was it a ghost? quaked Ermengarde. No, said Sarah, laughing. It was my rat. Ermengarde made one bound and landed in the middle of the little dingy bed. She tucked her feet under her nightgown and the red shawl. She did not scream, but she gasped with fright. Oh, oh, she cried under her breath. A rat, a rat. I was afraid you would be frightened, said Sarah, but you needn't be. I am making him tame. He actually knows me and comes out when I call him. Are you too frightened to want to see him? The truth was that, as the days had gone on and, with the aid of scraps brought up from the kitchen, her curious friendship had developed. She had gradually forgotten that the timid creature she was becoming familiar with was a mere rat. At first, Ermengarde was too much alarmed to do anything but huddle in a heap upon the bed and tuck up her feet. But the sight of Sarah's composed little countenance and the story of Melchizedek's first appearance began at last to rouse her curiosity and she leaned forward over the edge of the bed and watched Sarah go and kneel down by the hole in the skirting board. He, he won't run out quickly and jump on the bed, will he? She said. No, answered Sarah. He's as polite as we are. He's just like a person. Now watch. She began to make a low whistling sound, so low and coaxing that it could only have been heard in entire stillness. She did it several times, looking entirely absorbed in it. Ermengarde thought she looked as if she were working a spell. And at last, evidently in response to it, a grey-whiskered, bright-eyed head peeped out of the hole. Sarah had some crumbs in her hand. She dropped them, and Melchizedek came quietly forth and ate them. A piece of larger size than the rest he took and carried in the most businesslike manner back to his home. "'You see,' said Sarah, "'that is for his wife and children. He is very nice. He only eats the little bits.' 
After he goes back, I can always hear his family squeaking for joy. There are three kinds of squeaks. One kind is the children's, and one is Mrs. Melchizedek's, and one is Melchizedek's own. Ermengarde began to laugh. Oh, Sarah, she said, you are queer, but you are nice. I know I am queer, admitted Sarah cheerfully, and I try to be nice. She rubbed her forehead with her little brown paw, and a puzzled, tender look came into her face. Papa always laughed at me, she said, but I liked it. He thought I was queer, but he liked me to make up things. I... I can't help making up things. If I didn't, I don't believe I could live. She paused and glanced around the attic. I'm sure I couldn't live here, she added in a low voice. Ermengarde was interested, as she always was. When you talk about things, she said, they seem as if they grew real. You talk about Melchizedek as if he was a person. He is a person, said Sarah. He gets hungry and frightened, just as we do, and he is married and has children. How do we know he doesn't think things, just as we do? His eyes look as if he was a person. That was why I gave him a name. She sat down on the floor in her favorite attitude, holding her knees. Besides, she said, he is a Bastille rat sent to be my friend. I can always get a bit of bread the cook has thrown away, and it is quite enough to support him. Is it the Bastille yet? asked Ermengarde eagerly. Do you always pretend it is the Bastille? Nearly always, answered Sarah. Sometimes I try to pretend it is another kind of place, but the Bastille is generally easiest, particularly when it is cold. Just at that moment, Ermengarde almost jumped off the bed. She was so startled by a sound she heard. It was like two distinct knocks on the wall. What is that? she exclaimed. Sarah got up from the floor and answered quite dramatically. It is the prisoner in the next cell. Becky, cried Ermengarde, enraptured. Yes, said Sarah. Listen, the two knocks meant, prisoner, are you there? She knocked three times on the wall herself, as if in answer. That means, yes, I am here and all is well. Four knocks came from Becky's side of the wall. That means, explained Sarah, then, fellow sufferer, we will sleep in peace. Good night. Ermengarde quite beamed with delight. Oh, Sarah, she whispered joyfully, it is like a story. It is a story, said Sarah. Everything's a story. You are a story. I am a story. Miss Minchin is a story. And she sat down again and talked until Ermengarde forgot that she was a sort of escaped prisoner herself and had to be reminded by Sarah that she could not remain in the Bastille all night but must steal noiselessly downstairs again and creep back into her deserted bed. Spoiler alert! The next chapter is called The Indian Gentleman. Dun 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 So today's jingle is called The Two Bears. It's quite long as well as I said before. Let's hear it. Prince Curly Locks remarked one day to Princess Dimplecheek, I haven't had a real good play for more than most a week. Said Princess Dimplecheek, My dear, your majesty forgets. This morning we played Grenadier with Grandpa's Upalettes. And yesterday we sailed to Spain, we both were pirates bold, and braved the wild and raging main to seek for hidden gold. True, said the prince, I mind me well, right heartily we fought, and stormed a massive citadel to gain the prize we sought. 
but if your ladyship agrees, methinks we'll go upstairs and build a waste of arctic seas, and we'll be polar bears. Yes, if you'll promise not to bite, fair Dimplecheek replied, already halfway up the flight, his highness by her side. Princess, on that far window seat, go sit thee down and wait, while I ask Nursey for a sheet, or maybe six or eight. A pile of sheets his highness brought, dear princess, pray take these. Although our path with dangers fraught, we'll reach the polar seas. Two furry rugs his lordship bore, two pairs of mittens white. He threw them on the nursery floor and shouted with delight. He spread those sheets, the funny boy, or table, floor, and chair. Princess, said he, don't you enjoy this frosty bracing air? These snowy sheets are fields of ice, this is an iceberg grim. Yes, dear, I think it's very nice, she said, and smiled at him. And then they donned the rugs of fur, the mittens too they wore. And Curly Locks remarked to her, Now you must roar and roar. Dimple Cheeks looked out from the cowl formed by her furry rug. I'm afraid of bears that only growl. I like the kind that hug. What did you think of that jingle? Personally, at first I thought they were talking about real princes and princesses, but then they turn out to be adventurous kids. Tell me, would you like to be a polar bear? Or let's see, what did they speak of? Go to Spain? to come and see me, or even storm a massive citadel, which is like a church if I'm not mistaken. Well, that's the end of our episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. Come back on Monday when we will hear the first part of the 10th chapter. Have a great weekend. Herculean thanks to Epidemic Sound for the songs and sound you heard today, and to Project Gutenberg for the books we read. Music